Hey, uh, you came back. Wow, I, didn't, I, I really didn't expect it. So, uh, hey, uh, I got to say, last night I went up to uh, Fraser to our men's retreat. There's about 350 guys up there, and uh, they're knocking it out. And uh, it, it was just a, a, t- a ton of fun. And uh, Scott's teaching last night and this, and, uh, this morning. And then uh, hopefully a bunch of them are going to come back to Merge tonight and, or tomorrow night and because uh, they don't want to miss out on, on this. And uh, let me, just, let me get, get into this because I, I don't want to go long. I want us to get us out because I, I want to go eat supper. So, um, you know, last week we kicked off this new series, Grow a Pair. And I don't really have... A, time to explain to you what that fully means. You can figure it out. But suffice it to say that many of us, men specifically, but we also learned that this applies to women. But either way, many of us have lost contact or misplaced, or maybe we never really had a couple of key items that God meant for us to have. They're kind of key in being a man or a woman or the person that we were meant to be. Kind of our theory we're going to unpack for six weeks is that maybe if we could locate those lost items, you know, or maybe grow a new pair of whatever it is that's missing in your life that maybe we could actually become that person that we were meant to be. And the reason that a lot of us are missing those things in our life is, this is what we kind of looked at last week, if you weren't here, is that a lot of us have been listening to the wrong voices in our life tell us who we are, letting the wrong people tell us what we're worth and what we should do. And the, the conclusion of all of that was this, is that many of us are going to come to a point in our life, and a lot of us have already come to that point in our life, where we're going to wake up or look over to the person next to us and we're going to realize there's something missing. There's something missing in me. There's something missing in my life. There's something missing in the relationships with the people I really care about. But again, here's what we looked at briefly last week. We're going to look more at tonight. But many of us have been measuring what is it that makes a man a man or a woman a woman. We've been measuring by the wrong standards. We've been asking questions like, do you have this? Or do you have more of that than they have? Have you done that? Have you accomplished enough? Because if you have, then, then you're a man. But if you haven't, If you don't have this, you don't have enough of it, or if you haven't done this or accomplished it, or something like that happened to someone like you, then you're not a man, at least a real one or enough of one. While we're being honest, you know, in this series, let's just admit that sometimes, and I didn't say most of the time, it has nothing to do with what's going on right now in our lives, physically or financially, in our lives right now. For many of us, it happened a long time ago. Emotional stuff from our past followed us. Somebody did something or didn't do something to us a long time ago. Not just anybody, but somebody that we trusted or we thought we could trust. Something happened to us. And from that point on, it changed everything in our life. And like I said earlier, ever since that time, a lot of us have been measuring the wrong things. Listening to the wrong voices try to tell us who we are. What we're worth. And this is how you should live your life. And this is where we looked at last week. God comes along and says something different. He says this, remember if you were here, he says, the Lord said to Samuel, so they're trying to pick out a king and everybody's trying to pick out the big strong guys. And the Lord said to Samuel, don't consider his appearance or his height, for I rejected him. I rejected the, the people, that, the, the person that everybody thinks, well, he's the man. You know? The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. See, man looks at, people look at the outward appearance, don't we? That's the first thing that we, we register and judge people by. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so what we're trying to figure out is what does it mean to be like a real man or, or the man that you want to be or that God meant for you to be, the, the woman, the person, whatever. And the answer to what that looks like is usually not found by measuring stuff on the outside. The people measure and say, well, that's important and that's valuable. But we, we find out what a man is and what a woman is when we start looking at the things God looks for. When God says, that, that's what matters. And many times those things are found in pairs. Two things in our life that must be both present for you and I to ever have a shot at becoming the person, the man, the woman that, that we were meant to be. 
So I want to look at two stories tonight. And I kind of told you last week, we're going to look at a guy named Joseph and a guy named Chuck. All right. And we're going to look at that again tonight. All right. And this story in the Bible, I never really understood. I mean, I've heard this story all, all in my life, but I never really, really got it. And by that, I mean, this is that as I've read this story, I don't know if I could have done what this guy did. And like I said last week, is that because he's better than me. <laughs> He really is a better man than I am. And, and I guess I'm telling you that right up front before we get into the story of this guy named Joseph to kind of give you an out, kind of a side door. You know, as I tell this story here over the next few minutes, if your response in here goes, is, is this, I'm not there. I, I, I couldn't do that. If God or you or anybody else in this row thinks that I'm going to do that, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just not there. Maybe never, but definitely not tonight. And if that's you, I get it. Me too. There's stuff in my life that I'm sitting there going, I'm just not ready to just let that go yet, all right? Someday maybe, but not tonight. So if that's you and me, all right, all right, just listen. And I believe, I believe with all my heart that if God wants you to change anything in your life or do anything different or add or subtract or move anything around in your life, that's between the two of you. He'll, he'll, tell you, he'll tell you what to do. Just listen, all right? So the story is of a young man named Joseph, all right? And it's going to pick up in like in Genesis, I think like 37, and it goes all the way through the end of the, uh, of the book. So you want to read this, the whole story. I'm going to kind of give you my version uh, of it. We, we pick up the story of this guy named Joseph when he's 17 years old, all right? So it's a teenage kid living over in what will someday be Israel, all right? And he's, the, he's the, the favorite child of his dad, all right? And what, what, by me like that is that he's got a lot of brothers and sisters, but his dad just openly says, you're my favorite, Gives him special gifts and a little extra attention. And to be honest, Joseph's a little spoiled, a, a little, little cocky. At least he's not very humble. I, I'd say he's just a typical teenager. That would be me. So all the teenagers go, that's not nice. Well, it's true. But, uh, you know, he probably, you know, he probably just got his, like, camel driver license. So I own the world. Get out of the way. You know, whatever. And he tends to shoot off his mouth before he thinks. Not that kids do that. But uh, I'll give you an example. One night at dinner... He announces to his family. So it's, they're all sat down to dinner, right? He announces to his family. And by the way, time out. Uh, Joseph's dad is like on his third marriage. And sitting around the table are like 11 half-brothers. This is what you call a blended family. All right? Just for the record, right? Anyway, so they're all sitting there eating. And Joseph stands up and goes, Okay, listen, I had this dream last night. And God told me that one day I'm going to like be famous like a star. All right? Here's the thing is. You guys are going to bow down to me, kind of like slaves. Isn't that cool? Pass the potatoes. <laughs> and Joseph's feeling good. I mean, he's like, this is a great dream. All right, life is good. And I got big plans for my life. And obviously God's got big plans for my life because I'm his favorite too. All right. And he's like, everything is going great in my life. Now, remember that. All right. Remember that. But the dream stuff didn't go really well with the brothers. They were, they, you know, they were like, for, you know, first he gets all our dad's attention and he's a spoiled brat. Now he thinks he's better than us. He's going to be a star. And we're going to bow down. That'll never happen. One day Joseph's dad is out of town and they see him out on the family farm and they look at him and go, hey, come here, dreamer. And they beat the crap out of him. I mean, sorry, my, my mom's here tonight. They beat the stuff out of him. All right. And, uh, and, and, uh, and you know, and they're going to, they're going to try to kill him. And they throw him down this well to figure out how they're going to kill him. And then, you know, they, they say, you know what? Why kill him? Let's make some money off of him. And so they, they, some slave traders were going by, all right? If you saw, you know, Gladiator, that whole thing, you know. Uh, so anyway, so they, they sold him to some slave traders on their way to Egypt. They took this coat that his dad had given him, this fancy coat for a special son, right? They took that. They cut it up. They put goat's blood all over it. They went home and went, Dad, I buried Joseph. And this is all that's left. 
And they cried, and his dad you know, tore his clothes, and they had a big funeral. And I think you call this a dysfunctional blended family. All right, whatever your family was, this wins. All right, so uh, now if you're Joseph, what are you thinking? Last night at dinner was good. Now I just lost everything. What, what are you feeling? And where's God in all this? I started going to church when I was in high school. I went, first of all, to a Baptist church because uh, one of my best friends, Dave Smith, went there. And uh, my dad was friends with his family. So Dave and I became real good friends. In fact, uh, we were like we were like brothers. I mean, we really loved one another, and uh, we double date together. And, and uh, then Dave went off to Korea and got killed. On this particular Friday, it was uh, I had made arrangements to have a date with a, with a gal that worked at the, uh, at the place. And I was going to double date with another guy. And uh, she was going to bring a girlfriend and everything. And uh, so I was really excited about that. And I wanted to get home and get cleaned up and, and, uh, and uh, get back. And so I told my dad, you know, what we had to do. And so... He, Friday was always payday for him, and he always had to stop at this bar, and uh, so he went to the bar, and he stayed, and he stayed, and he stayed, and so finally I had gone in and said, Dad, we've really got to get going, so he was teed off that I pushed him that way. So I was driving a little fast to get home because we were late, and he said, you better slow this blank thing down or we're going to get a ticket. And I said, well, if I get a ticket, I'll pay for it. I was so mad at him. And uh, so he started telling me how worthless I was and how I didn't appreciate anything. And, and uh, we were driving along this road and uh, out of the blue, he said, I hope you go to Korea and get your... GD head blown off and I just said well you know if I do I won't have to be around people like you well that really set him off I was behind the wheel but he grabbed for me and ripped my shirt off and tore me across the chest and, and started hitting on me and everything and I knew I had to get away from him so uh, I got off to the, to the shoulder of the road and got out and uh, ran away from him I later found out that he had got, gotten a gun and went out hunting for me. And uh, so I don't know what I did. There's a, a blank stage in there where I stayed and everything, but I never went home again. Never went home. Same with Joseph. So Joseph ends up for sale in Egypt. And he's bought by a rich guy named Potiphar who works for... Pharaoh, the king, and, and Potiphar's going to make him like a slave, but more like a, like a butler in his house. And Joseph works really hard and becomes like head of all of Potiphar's companies and his financial investments. And as he's working around the house, Potiphar's wife kind of notices Joseph and 
thinks he's hot. And so she keeps trying to have an affair with Joseph. Read this story later. It's very interesting. She's a very subtle woman. Um, I'll just read this to you. Look at this. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, very romantically, come to bed with me. I won't say anything. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin? What's the, word? What's the two words? Against God. Not against you. Not against me. Not against Potiphar. I know how things work. If I choose wrong here, I'm letting go of something really Really important. How can I sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. So Joseph keeps on, you know, saying, no, 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 I, I want to do the right thing. I want to do the right thing. And eventually she gets mad at him, accuses him of trying to rape her. He goes to prison for a crime he didn't commit. And again, now if you're Joseph, I mean, things are looking up. And then here we go again. What are you thinking? You ever had times in your life where, okay, finally, Starting to look up, and then boom, it happens again. What are you feeling now? And where's God in all this? I thought he was going to take care of me. So he's in jail, and some guys who used to work for Pharaoh are in the same jail with Joseph, and they have these dreams, and God has given Joseph this, you know, we saw, learned that back at dinner. He, Joseph can interpret dreams, and so the guy's going, hey, Joseph, here's my dream, and Joseph, I'll tell you what it means. So these two guys, the first guy goes, um, you're going to die. Sorry. That was a bad dream, okay? And then to the other guy, he says, um, you're actually going to get out of jail and you're going to get your job back and you're going to stand before the king. And by the way, when you're in front of Pharaoh, would you tell him about me? Because I didn't do it. Would you just tell him, and I, I'm not supposed to be here, just put in a kind word for me. And the guy goes, absolutely, I promise, I'll do that. But as soon as he's free and he gets his job back with the king, he forgets all about Joseph. You ever had people make you promises and don't keep them? Again, if you're Joseph, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? I've lost everything now. I lost my family. I lost my job. I've been accused of stuff I didn't do. Anybody's story? I'm in a strange place. I don't have any friends, obviously. I'm all alone. I have no idea where my life is going. Life isn't fair. And by the way, none of this is my fault. Why is this happening? Nobody cares. I'm all alone and I want to give up. And by the way, where is God in all this? Within just days, I was on a bus going to Fort Riley, Kansas. Uh, to take my basic training, and uh, the army kind of became my home then for a while, and, and uh, uh, it was during that time that I was in Korea that uh, that uh, I decided that yeah, that, that's that's what I want to do. I I, I want to be a minister. So the two years went by quite fast, and I could see God's hand so many times. I was on the ship going over to uh, Korea from Fort Lewis, Washington, and on Christmas Eve, um, the ship, I don't know if it broke down or what, but anyway, they turned off the motors, and it was out there in the middle of the ocean, and and it was just as black as could be. And I went up on the deck. And I, I, I was kind of depressed because I was without family. And here it was Christmas Eve. And I was going to Korea and not knowing what, what was going to happen there. And, and uh, 
Uh, so I went up on the deck on Christmas Eve on this troop ship. It was just as black as it could be out there. And it was just like, you could reach out. It, it was one of those magic moments for me. Uh, it was just like you could reach out and touch God. You know? Excuse me. <laughs> I kind of got on the deck. I even thought about jumping over because I was so depressed. And when I got up there, I was leaning over the deck and I saw the stars and everything. And it was just like God spoke to me and said, Chuck, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And I just felt a peace that came. And I knew it was going to be okay. So, two more years go by. Joseph's in jail, all alone, about ready to give up. And Pharaoh has a dream. No one can tell him what it means. Then that guy remembers. Oh yeah, I know this guy named Joseph. He knows what dreams mean. He's back in prison. I kind of forgot about him. The king says, well, well, bring Joseph to me. Joseph walks in front of the king. and he says, The king says, well, here's my dream. And Joseph says, well, your dream means that you're going to have seven years of good crops. For the next seven years, everything you plant is going, going to go great. But after that, there's going to be seven years of drought, no rain at all. And this is extra, you know, Pharaoh. But if I were you, I'd start storing up everything that you grow in the next seven years so that when the drought hits, everybody will have to come to you to buy food and you'll get even richer. Pharaoh thinks, this guy knows his stuff. And not only just sets him free from prison, but puts Joseph in charge of the whole operation. Puts him in charge of the food and, and the money for the entire country. And just for extra, he throws in a mansion and here's a wife and as much money as you could ever want. And now Joseph's 30 years old and things are looking up. Well, that happens just like Joseph said. There's seven years and the crops are great. But then a few years into the famine, people from all over the world, at least the Middle East, come to Egypt because they're the only people that have food. And here's what would happen. They would come into the place where you buy food. They would bow down on the ground before Joseph and, and ask for food. And one day, guess who shows up? Joseph's standing there and in walk his brothers. And they don't recognize him. I mean, that's 25 years ago. He's dead by now, right? They, they don't recognize their brother. And, you know, Joseph recognizes them. Now, if you're Joseph, what are you thinking? And what are you feeling? Because I know what I'd be thinking. Yeah, I remember. Last, last time I saw you guys, my family, you punched my lights out. Remember? And you sold me like a dog you didn't want anymore. Remember that day? I lost my family. I lost my home. I lost my freedom. And, and you did this to me. Have you had this conversation in your head? Right? You, you took everything from me. It's your fault because of what you did to me. I've been a slave. I got accused of rape. And while you guys went on like nothing happened in your life, I've been in prison for 13 years. And now things are finally, you know, looking up for me. And you guys expect me to help you? I've rehearsed this speech a long time. Blank you. Right? <laughs> My mom's right over there, right? Just go there, right? right? I mean, no, no. What goes around comes around. That's what I'd be feeling. Anybody else? That's what I'd be thinking. It's time to make things right. And by the way, I told you so. You are bowing down to me. Now who's the man? Joseph's the man. That's, that's right. That'd be me. But that's not Joseph. You know, honestly, the more I've, I've read this story, I, I think Joseph's really mixed up. How many of you been? 
I mean, just because everything worked out for the, you know, it's okay now, it doesn't mean that what happened to him, what they did to him, doesn't matter. If you read this story later tonight, I'm not going to read it for you, but I mean, three times in the story, he has to run out of the room because he breaks down crying. Maybe because he's just so glad to see his family, but maybe because he has a tug of war going on inside of him about, I don't know what to do with all this anger and bitterness. and I don't know what to do. Do I forgive or do I pay back? Chapter after chapter, this struggle goes on. And finally, Joseph says, it's me. I'm Joseph. The brother you sold into slavery. And you got to think, this is a no crap moment for the brothers. <laughs> right? I mean, they're terrified because they know. First, they knew what they knew. What, they remember. What, I remember Joseph. I remember what we did last time we saw him. Second, I, I know what we deserve. And third, I know what I would do to us if I was Joseph. But Joseph, and I don't know if the word is understands, knows, realizes there's something else going on here. So he not only forgives his brothers, but feeds them. Listen to this. We looked at this last week. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of me anyway. Am I in the place of God? I, I, I know it's, something's going on here. And there are things I'm responsible for and stuff I'm not responsible for. Am I God? And the answer is no. See, here it is. You intended to harm me. Can we just get that out on the table? You meant to harm me, but God meant, God intended it for good. We'll talk about that in a second. To accomplish what's now being done. The saving of your lives, by the way. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and, and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. See, I love it that, that, that the Bible doesn't say that Joseph said, I ah, don't worry about it. You ever had counseling like that? <sighs> you know, you forget about it. Just, it, it. It doesn't matter. Let's just not talk about it. That's not what he says. That's bad counseling advice, by the way. He says, let's just start with this, all right? You meant for this to happen. You intended to harm me. You made a plan and you carried it out. You did wrong against me. You intentionally hurt me. You sold me out and you discarded me. That's what you, that's what you did. But God, I think this has got to be a hard sentence to say, but God, and I don't know if I knew it when I was in the well, and I don't know if I knew it in prison, and I don't even know if I knew it when you walked in the room a minute ago, but God intended, same word, Used, changed it around, redefined what you did for me, which for the record was bad. I think the word is sin. You sinned against me. It was horrible. But God is going to take your horrible actions and use them to accomplish something good. I'm not saying what you did was good. But God's going to use it for something good. See, what you did to me will never be okay. Never. It will never be okay with me and it will never be okay with God. But God is not going to let it go to waste. He's going to use it. So you don't have to be afraid of me. I'm not the one that's going to take revenge on you. That's God's job. You might want to talk to him. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you what you need rather than what you deserve. You know what you call that? You call that not fair. Right? Remember when you were a little kid, you know, and somebody got more cookies than you? That's not fair, right? That's not fair, right? I mean, not fair is... Um, Fair is getting what you have coming to you. I like fair. Everybody likes fair, right? You know, getting what you deserve. If you won the race, if you got an A, you know, whatever that is. You, know, you get rewarded because that's fair. You get satisfaction. I, I like getting what's right because that's fair. I like fair unless I'm on the wrong side. Unless I've screwed up. Then getting what's fair is the last thing I want. I want not fair. I want not fair, right? You know what another word for this kind of not fair is? Grace grace. We just sang about it. We talk about this all the time in here. There are two different kinds of grace. 
There is the grace that is given that forgives someone despite the fact that they deserve to be punished. By the way, that's what we all want from God. We all vote on that. Yes. I would like to not get what I deserve. I'd like to be treated unfairly by God. I'd like to be forgiven instead of the alternative. I like that. Okay? But there's another kind of grace. Not the forgiveness kind. It's the kind of grace that looks like this. Grace is strength. Grace is the strength that God promises to give us to do something that we can never do on our own. There's the grace that gets us forgiven instead of punishment. Then there's this other kind of grace. It's the strength that God promises to give us to do something that we can never do on our own. And I'm talking about something that's so difficult, so impossible, that the only explanation you could ever do this, survive it, live through it, the only reason, you go, how are you still alive? There's only one way. There's only one explanation why I haven't murdered them or him or her or myself. There's only one explanation that I've made it this far. It can be attributed to one thing. Here it is. Ready? God has given me the grace. God has given me the strength to do it because there is no other explanation. Anybody have any of those in their life? There is just no way I, could, I should be here. We should be married. Why I should have these kids. Why I, I should be alive. There's just no way. The only explanation is God has given me the grace, the strength to do it. Because I can't do it by myself. Now, here's the thing. I, I remember studying this all, all my life. But a, a couple years ago, reading the story of Joseph. And I had, I had an aha moment. It, it, go, it went like that. I had a couple of them. But the first one went like this. I think I'm starting to understand what Jesus meant when he said, turn the other cheek. I always hated it when he said that. You know, Jesus said that if somebody, you know, strikes you on one side of your face, turn the other cheek, don't strike back. And see, I, I kind of grew up with kind of the wrong definition, but what, what Jesus was not saying is, you ought to let people slap you around. You ought to. You know, be a doormat if you love Jesus. You know, that's, that's not what he's saying. You know, let people take advantage of you. Don't protect yourself. He, he, was, he wasn't saying that being slapped in the face shouldn't matter. What he was saying was this. When you do get slapped around, and you will, punched in the face, physically, emotionally, relationally, sexually, when somebody intentionally means you harm, insults you, degrades you, embarrasses you, molests you, devastates your life, you be the person that says, enough. No, no more. No more of this. It stops here. No more endless string and generations of cheek slapping and eye gouging and teeth knocking and wife beating and child abusing and heart crushing, life ruining violence. No more. It's got to stop. It might have happened to your dad because it happened to his dad. But with God's grace and his strength, you could be the one that says, but it stopped with me. See, I am not like that. I am not my dad. I'm not like, I'm not like him. I don't, I don't do that. See, here's the truth. The truth is a lot of us don't realize to way down the road of life and we're looking in the rearview mirror looking back and all we see is all the effort that we poured into paying people back and trying to get even and punish people. All the mistakes that we've made trying to prove that what happened, that was wrong and I've got to prove that it was wrong or I'm going to try to pretend like it didn't matter. All the intoxicating substances we've tried to numb it down with, all the intoxicating rage. We look back and we discover that it did nothing but take over our life. And they're still defining who we are and dictating how we should act. And it's ripping us off of what's really important. Here's the thing is, it's ruining a lot of other people's lives along the way, just like your life got ruined by the same toxic actions of somebody else. Here's the irony of this this whole thing. In the end, you still have to face this question, what do I do with what happened to me? Because I can't change it. I can't undo it. 
I can't pretend or deny it didn't happen, so what do I do? And the answer is, if you're taking notes, you need to grow a pair. And I'm not saying you need to suck it up or, you know, man up or toughen up or, or get over it. That's not what I'm saying. This is what it means. It means you need to find or connect with something or some things that change everything. And this week, those two things that we have to have in our life, those two life-changing characteristics, if you're writing these down, are identity and integrity. You've got to grow a pair of identity and integrity. What do you mean by that? Identity. You have to go to a better source, a higher source, a source that isn't based on the circumstances of what's, what you're going through, a source that's above that. You have to let that higher source, that higher power, be the voice that tells you, this is who you are. I know what he said. This is who you are, and this is what you what you're worth. You got a lot of people trying to tell you this. There's this higher power in your life that's saying, but I'm telling you, this is who you are and this is what you're worth. And then once you've heard that voice and then you believe him, then you live a life that's consistent with who that voice has defined you to be. That's integrity. Living a life that's consistent with your identity. I read another book this week. I know. It's like two this year. All right. Um, it's an awesome book. It's called Lone Survivor. It's, a, it's an account of uh, these four Navy SEALs that were ambushed over in Afghanistan. And I, I, lo- I highly recommend it. It's got some rough language in it because they're SEALs. It's a rule, I think. But anyway, uh, so they're over in Afghanistan. And I've been to Afghanistan like six times. And so it really connected. So when these guys are in the village, I'm like, I think I've been in that village before. But, but the first half of the book is all about SEAL training. These special ops guys and what they have to do and they have to go through all this and all this training and stuff like that. But over and over, the, the, the author of this book, his name is Marcus Luttrell, he says, but we're SEALs and this is what we do. But we're SEALs and this is what we do. Other people, they, they, they quit, but we're SEALs and this is what we do. And all the way through, even as he was captured in Afghanistan and, and hidden by, by, uh, by, by some really great Afghan people over there from the Taliban, things like that, he kept going, but, 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 but I'm a SEAL and this is what I, this is what I do. I was, I, was, I was having breakfast the other day with some guys uh, who go to church here. And I, I was telling them I was reading this book. And so this guy says to me, he goes, did, did you hear about what happened down in, in Grenada? And I was like, what? He goes, well, when we invaded Grenada back in the 80s, is that the, the, first thing, the first wave of you know, soldiers to go into a country are the SEALs. And so they dropped off these SEALs. And they thought it was going to be like a five-hour or a three-hour swim into shore, which blows my mind. A three-hour. So they gave them enough oxygen for a three-hour swim. It ended up being a five-hour swim. So... They were still out in the middle of the ocean when they ran out of air. But if they surfaced, they would compromise the whole mission and the invasion would, wouldn't work. So the four guys sat on the bottom of the ocean together and they drowned. Why? Because they were seals. And that's what they did. And they knew what their, their mission was. It's called identity and integrity. And it works if you listen to the right voice. But if you listen to someone in your life tell you that you're stupid, that you're worthless, that you don't matter, and you believe them, then that's your identity. That's who you see yourself to be. Then you start living a life that's consistent with that definition. See, the word integrity means one. Linked together, you can't pull them apart. If I think I am like that, then naturally I act like that. Identity and integrity. So if you're treated like you're worthless, if someone tells you they hope you die, they tell you that you're stupid or a failure, then you start seeing yourself that way. Then you live out of that definition. Why not fail? I'm a failure. Why not take another drink? That's who I am. Why not quit? That's all I am. Let's just get into our stories. If you're treated like a punching bag, if people treat you like a whore, 
Or if enough people call you names like loser or wimp or queer or faggot, you get that said to you long enough, you know what? You start believing it. And on top of all that, if the people that are supposed to love you and protect you don't, then many times you begin to see yourself that way, right? That's what happens to people like me. There's something wrong with me. So I expect, I guess I deserve to be treated like that. And many times that's how you start treating other people. Something happened. From that point on, many of us begin to see ourselves that way, identity. Then you started treating yourself and allowing others to treat you that way, out of integrity. That's who and what you are. You must be. Look what happened, right? That's how it feels. Now, if we ended here, this would be a really depressing night, wouldn't it? But surely there has to be a better way than that. And that's what we came to church for. Isn't there a better way than what I have? Isn't there a better way than I've been defined by what happened to me, by what, what he did to me or what she, she did to me? Isn't there a better way than being defined by what happened in my past? Am I condemned to live a life based on that definition? And the answer is, there is a better way, folks. There's another voice speaking. It's a better voice, a higher voice. And it's the voice of God. And you knew I was going to say that, but I, don't, I bet you don't know what God's saying to you. He's saying this. I'm the one that gets to tell you who you are. And I'm the one that gets to tell you what you're worth. And this is who you are. Regardless of what anybody else has told you, let me tell you who you are. This is God. He's saying to you tonight, you are my child. And I'm your father. Sounds like Darth Vader, but it's not. <laughs> you're my child. I'm your dad. You didn't have a very good one. You are forgiven for every sin and mistake because of Jesus. I know some people keep telling you that you're not, and the tapes in your head keep telling you that you're not forgiven. Let me just correct that. I'm, I'm, I'm God. You are forgiven for every sin and mistake because of Jesus. And by the way, you are free from all condemnation. It doesn't matter if people put a, a finger in your chest and say, but remember what you did. God says, I'm telling you, you are free from all condemnation because you are a new creation. The old is gone. You are not who you used to be. The old's gone. And by the way, you are loved by God. He does not hate you. He loves you. And I love this one. You've been given a promise by God that you are not a victim. You are not a victim of this corrupt world, but a part of a higher one. A divine one. That's the voice of God. And that's who you are. And that's who you're meant to be. And if you don't believe that, it's because you're listening to the wrong voice for way too long. But if you would turn your ear, we sing this, turn your ear toward heaven, turn your ears toward God, you'd hear the truth. And like Jesus said, if you hold on to, if you live in what God says is true, then that truth will set you free. Free from the lies that you've been listening to. Free to become the man or woman that you were meant to be and who God says you are, even if you don't feel that way yet. See, I, see, I know, because I've, I've sat in services like this before and had a guy up here tell me stuff like that and I'm having arguments in my head you're sitting there going you know what that doesn't make sense I mean logically that doesn't make sense you're right it doesn't it logically if you use logic if you calculate and go with the odds my dad ought to be an alcoholic like his dad but my dad never drank a drop when I was a kid I'm trying to get him to now but he, he won't but uh <laughs> my dad ought to be an, abu- an abusive husband and father like his father was Instead, he never laid a hand on any of us in anger. As a matter of fact, he should have been firmer. My dad ought to be an angry, bitter man like his father was. I mean, who would blame him? Right? Instead, my dad is responsible for thousands of people 
bumping into Jesus. And countless numbers of people that he and my mom let sleep on our couch or our spare bedroom just so they had a chance to say, this is what a family could be. He's responsible for me getting to stand up here and talk to you. And the only way any of that was or is possible, it really isn't logical. It's only possible because at some point, my dad stopped listening to his earthly father, who was wrong and confused and probably had his own set of baggage. And he started listening to his heavenly father. And I don't know if my dad has totally forgiven his dad for all the horrible things that he did to my dad. You'll have to ask him. All I know is that my dad is not who my grandpa told him he was. When I look over, I, I didn't know that there was a different way to live until I discovered, you know, uh, a minister who kind of took me under his uh, wing and, and uh, showed me what kindness was and uh, gave me a vision and gave me a hope and uh, and uh, there have been a lot of people that's helped along the way and, and uh, God is good and uh, you know the old saying life is hard but uh, God is good and uh, one of my favorite sayings used to be John 3.16 but you have to go on with John 3.16 and include 17 and 18 with it because uh, he came not to, uh, to punish us or to judge us, but to uh, give us life everlasting. And uh, I found a father that uh, I never had or never knew. And uh, he's, he's a good father. And uh, I love him. And... Uh, He's blessed me in so many ways, and one of those ways is the son that I have that he is using in a mighty way, and uh, I, I just, Anne and I give thanks for you all the time, and we just hope you keep up the good work. I forgot that last part was in there. That's not fair. <laughs> so that's the story of two men. The story of Joseph. His family treated him like garbage. That's some of our stories. But Joseph believed that God thought he was, defined him as, you're more than garbage. He had a horrible life. Some of you have had a horrible life. Who would have blamed Joseph for getting a little comfort from Potiphar's wife? I mean, who would blame him? But his response was, how could I do that against God? See, I belong to God. Even if people treat me like a fill-in-the-blank, I am not that man. See, if Joseph allowed his circumstances to give him his identity, then logically he should have paid his brothers back for everything they'd done to him. But then all he had proven is that they were right. Even after all these years, they still hold the power over my life because I've given them the power to continue to tell me who I am 25 years later to tell me what I'm worth and what I ought to do. But I'm going to choose to listen to a different voice. You know, someday, you might be able to forgive some people in your past for what they did or didn't do to you. Maybe. Not, not tonight, but maybe. But file this away. I promise 
You'll never be able to do it until you begin to see yourself in the identity that God declares you to be. Because you only have the ability to be one person at a time. And you can either be who God says you are or what other people have told you you are. That's called integrity. And you will always live and act out of who you think you are. So we're going to close this a little different. We're going to read Bible verses together, but we're going to personalize them. And some of you are going to read these and not believe them, but a couple of you might read them, and maybe the second or third one, you're going to go, is that true? This may be your aha moment. So we're going to read these out loud together, and then we're going to be done. But let's just read them. Here we go. Ready? One, two, three. I am God's child, and he is my father. I am forgiven for every sin and mistake I've ever made because of Jesus. I am free from that was kind of weak. That was kind of weak. All right, one, two, three. I am free from all condemnation. A little stronger. Here we go. I am not who I used to be. I am a new creation. Let's go. I am loved by God. I have been given a promise by God that I don't have to be a victim of this corrupt world, but I can be a part of a higher one, a divine one. Now, here's the thing is, If you believe that, any of that is really true, that that's who you are, would it make a difference? Because Jesus said it's true. And Jesus said if you lived out of that truth, you could be free. And it's time to be free. I'm going to close. I just think it's appropriate. I'm going to ask my dad to come and close with prayer. So if you come up. good it is to be able to call you Father. Yes. We think of you as God, as the one who created the world, the one who made the mountains, the oceans, the stars. But you revealed yourself as a God of love when you sent your son, Jesus. When he came and he did for us what we could not do for ourselves, We know that we are blessed above all blessings. To know that your grace is sufficient for us in some of the uh, rotten situations that we may find ourselves in in this journey called life. We also know there are so many mountains where we can stand and as we stand on top of that mountain and we can see forever we can see into eternity and we know that from the very beginning you had us in mind that we need not dwell in darkness that we need not be slaves scourged to a dungeon that we need not to be prisoners that we do not have to live in shame and we do not have to live in darkness but we can be free 
free because you set us free if we choose to let you do it. Father, tonight there are decisions that need to be made and we just ask that uh, we might end this wrestling match that has been going on within us and the turmoil that has been there for many years. And we just turn it over to you and say, God, I trust you and I love you and I need you and I want you and I confess you this very day. Thank you, God, for loving us, even when we're unlovely. Thank you, God, for being with us as you have promised to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome.